Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. I want to share something with you. you. Know in Revelation chapter twelve, I want to pick up where we left off last week. I began talking a few um, months ago. And we, we go through this like I keep talking about the, the goodness of God because, well, that's who he is. And that really is what should shape our view of life. It should be the thermostat that we set our lives at, that God is good and we should expect his goodness. My favorite one of my favorite scriptures in Psalms is Psalm 27, verse 13, when David said, I would have despaired, I would have lost hope, I would have given up, I would have quit unless I believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Let me tell you something. This expectation has saved me multiple times in my life. This expectation of seeing God's goodness has prevented me from my own spiritual suicide, if it's even possible. It's not. We're not going to lose anything. We can't lose the salvation God gave us as a gift. But my point is what kept me from quitting, what kept me from failing, what kept me from, you know, from making the worst decisions of my life. And I've made some do I've made some bad ones, but what's kept me from making the worst ones, what's kept me from giving up at the toughest times is this hope that I will see the goodness of God. And I believe that God wants us to see his goodness in this life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And so I wake up expecting God's goodness. I'm going to bed tonight expecting God's goodness. I'm leaving this service today expecting God's goodness. I'm standing in this service today expecting God's goodness. I go through tough times expecting God's goodness, rough times expecting God's goodness, difficult times expecting God's goodness, trying times expecting God's goodness. No matter what I go through, through, I'm expecting God's goodness to show up in my life. And you can, too. Every single day you can wake up expecting his goodness and his mercy to follow you all the days of his life, because that's who he is. And he never changes his nature and he never changes his character because of our character. He will never change his character because of our character. He will never become faithless because we're faithless. He will never do something bad because we're bad. He will do good because he's good. He will be faithful because he's faithful. He will be true because he's true. He will keep his promise because he made his promise. And all we need to do is believe. All we need to do is believe. Say all I need to do is believe. Well, and when you believe it, it moves you into behavior. Belief will shape what you do. Belief will shape your behavior eventually. So if you focus on what you believe, then you will begin to experience supernatural behavior, a godly behavior, a life of victory, a life of 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 generosity, a life of of kindness, a life of doors that open that no man can close. All right, let's get through this and go through some more some more of this. Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10, Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10. Now, John is experiencing a revelation. That's why he that's why the book is called that. And in Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10, I want you to see what God gives us and what God says here, because John is on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. So the emperor at the time thought, I'll just get rid of John by sending. I can't kill him. He tried to kill him multiple times. And John just was just John just wouldn't die. And so he exiled him to an island on the island of Patmos. And that's where God gave him the the book of Revelation. And Jesus appeared to him and he saw heaven and he saw the angels and he saw the glory of God and he saw what was happening in uh, in the spiritual realm. And he gave us a glimpse of it 
in the book of Revelation. And it says in verse 10, John heard a voice. He said, and I heard a loud voice in 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 heaven saying now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Now, John says now they've heard this voice that says now they come. Now, we know that they already came. We know that salvation has already come. Salvation came when Jesus died and rose from the dead. Power came when he sent the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God came when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of human beings and authority came after Jesus resurrection. And he said to his disciples, now I give you authority. So all these things have come. So why does John hear this voice that says now the self now these four things have manifest now these four things have shown up. That's what the word when he says now these things have come, these four things, salvation, power, which is miraculous power in the Bible. It's miraculous power. It's a life of miracles and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is is inside of us. Right. He said that the kingdom of God is not out there somewhere, but the kingdom of God is inside of us. When you get born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And and it says that the kingdom of God is is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom of God is is us planting the seeds of God's word in our hearts and inside of our heart. We grow the Garden of Eden within our soul. We grow the Garden of Eden within our mind. We grow the Garden of Eden within our emotions. We grow the Garden of Eden on the inside of us. No longer is uh, does man when when God first created man, he put man inside of a, a garden and called it Eden. But in the new birth, in the first creation, God puts man in a garden. But in the new creation, when we're born again, God puts the garden in man. And so inside of you is the garden and the seeds you sow produce the harvest that you grow. And so if we sow the seed of God's word in our soul, we begin to flourish. We begin to succeed. We begin to have joy. We begin to experience the peace. We begin to eat of the fruit of all the fruit of the spirit because we're we're allowing the kingdom of God to operate inside of us by planting the seeds of God's word in our lives, which in his word has power. His word has authority. So but But John is specifically focusing here or the voice that he heard is saying, look, these four things, they were yours at the cross. But most Christians aren't enjoying these things. Most Christians aren't enjoying their salvation. I think most Christians are like, yeah, I'm saved. But are you enjoying your salvation? You know, David even said in Psalm 51, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you know that God truly intends us intended for us to experience joy in this life. It was God's idea to be happy. Happiness is God's idea. Joy is God's idea. Even when you're going through trials, the Bible says you can count it all. When you add it all up, rejoice. When you add it all up, you're going to see there's more for you than those against you. He says in James, James chapter one, count it all joy. It's a word when he says count it. He's saying, hey, look, count everything up in your life. And once you're once you've done the accounting, you're going to see there's more for you than those against you. 
What you're going to see, you got a promise for every problem. You're going to see that God's on your side. Angels are on your side. The words on your side, the sword of the spirits on your side. You got the grace of God, the love of God, the goodness of God, the faith of God, the power of God, the spirit of God. You got it all. You're going to see if you add it all up, if you count it, if you consider it all, it's an accounting term. If you count it all up, you're going to rejoice. You're going to have joy. Joy is going to come if you do your counting right. You know, we used to sing the song, you know, kids, kids count your blessings one by one. Like if like if we learn to live like that, if we truly counted all of the things that God has done, David said that he said, oh, man, he said he said he said, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, forget none of his benefits. He pardons, And then he begins to list them. He pardons all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from destruction. He crowns me with loving kindness and compassion. He puts a new song in my mouth. He gives me a reason to sing, a reason to celebrate. See, too many Christians have lost their joy. They've lost the pep in their step. Why? Because Revelation 12, 10 says now it's time to enjoy your salvation, time to walk in your power, time to expand and live in the kingdom of God and time to walk in the authority that's been given to you in Christ. When when can we walk in this kind of power? When can we experience the joy of our salvation? When can we experience this miracle living Christian life? When can we truly take dominion over Satan and over fear and over anxiety and over sickness and disease and over the problems in our lives when the accuser is thrown down? He said, now these things show up in your life. Now you begin to eat the fruit of these things in your life. Now they come. The word come there in verse 10 is the word manifest. Now, now these things have appeared. Now salvation appears. Now your power shows up. Now the kingdom of God operates. Now your authority, you're walking in your authority. When is the now when the accuser is thrown down? who accuses the brethren day and night. There is the voice of accusation accusing us day and night, trying to rob us of the joy of our salvation. Do you know that the devil cannot rob you of your salvation, but he can rob you of your joy, the joy of your salvation? You know, he can't rob you of your authority, but he can rob you of the knowledge of your authority. Do you know the devil cannot he cannot take the kingdom of God away from you, but he can rob you of your revelation that you're walking in the kingdom of God and you're expanding the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God lives inside of you. And, you know, the devil cannot take your power, but he can rob you of your confidence that the power of God is available to you and at your disposal. And that's what the devil does when he accuses you. And when he says you're not enough, you haven't done enough, you're not holy enough, you're not godly enough, you're not Christian enough, you're not faithful enough. And he begins to build into our minds a belief system of accusation. We begin to be recipients of accusation and we begin to listen to the lies that the enemy is trying to perpetrate. And what happens is, is when you listen to the lies like you're guilty, you're condemned. God won't forgive that. Or if you keep doing it, God's going to judge you. These are lies. These are accusations that we must throw down. We must throw down the, the accuser by throwing down his accusations. We know who the accuser is. 
the devil, diabolos, the one who throws at the Greek word is diabolo. It means to throw accusations at until they penetrate your soul. This is what the devil is, folks. And we're going to have to wake up and realize the devil does roam this earth. And the Bible says he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And how does he devour you? He doesn't devour you with ghosts and goblins. He doesn't devour you with vampires. He doesn't devour you with with ghoulish beliefs. He devours you with false thinking. He devours you with accusations. He comes after your confidence in your own heart. He wants to condemn you. He wants to tell you that you're not enough. He wants to tell you that you failed too much. He wants to tell you that you can't get up when you've fallen. He wants to tell you that your prayers won't get answered. You haven't earned it. You haven't deserved it. You're not worthy of it. Who are you to lift your hands? Put your hands down. The devil accuses you. Put your hands down. You should be ashamed of yourself after what you did yesterday. No, listen, Jesus has taken away all of our shame. He's taken away all of our guilt. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And we have got to throw down those lies. We have to throw down those lies. The Bible says the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. When you start throwing down the accuser and the accusations, you start enjoying your salvation again. You start walking in the power of miracles. You start expanding the kingdom of God and you start enjoying the righteousness, the peace, the joy in the Holy Spirit. And you start walking in your God given authority. And when you speak to the mountain, it moves. And when you command the dry bones to get up, they come together. And when you tell the devil to leave, he leaves. And when you command sickness to go, it goes. And when you command healing to come, it comes. And when you command victory to manifest in your life, it begins to manifest in your life. Why? Because you have that kind of authority. But what's robbing us of that is the accuser is telling us you don't know enough. You haven't done enough. You haven't earned it enough. You haven't deserved it enough. No, it's been given to us. And we're going to live from a place of victory when we understand who we are in Christ and all that Jesus has done for us. This is how we're going to walk in this stuff. We've got to stop the accuser telling us we're not enough. We've got to stop the accuser telling us your mistakes disqualify you. Which ones? <laughs> Which ones? Because I have a ton of them. Which ones disqualify me? Well, you, you know, you're 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 you, you ought to just be discouraged. You ought to stay down since you're down. You ought to just stay there. No, the Bible says a righteous man falls, but he gets back up seven times. We get to get up one more time than we fall every time you fall twice, you get up three times, you fall three times, you get up four times, you fall five times, you get up six times, whatever, you know, if you fall, you get up. That's the righteousness of God. You have the right. Jesus gave you the right to get back up. You know, somebody here today or maybe you're watching, you just feel down and you feel like you don't have the right to get back up. You have every right. You have every right to get back up. Well, I don't I don't I don't deserve I don't deserve the healing. I'm asking God to heal me. I don't deserve it. But Jesus said to that woman that was bent over for 19 years, she couldn't walk straight for 19 years. She was bent over. And and then Jesus said, woman, you are loosed. And the Bible says she straightened up for the first time in 19 years. And the Pharisees were mad that Jesus healed her on the Sabbath day. They said there are many other days she could have been healed. Yeah, like for 19 years. 
for the last 18 or 19 years, she could have been healed, but nobody had the courage to tell her that she had the right to be healed until Jesus said this woman, she's a daughter of Abraham and therefore she ought to be healed. In other words, she's been in bondage by Satan for 18 years, but she's a daughter of Abraham. She has every right to be healed because she's a daughter of Abraham. And the Bible says in Galatians 329, if we belong to Christ, we're Abraham's seed and we're heirs of the same promises. And so if she had the right to be healed, we have the right to be healed. If Abraham had the right to be blessed, we have the right to be blessed. If Abraham had if Abraham was redeemed from the curse, we're redeemed from the curse. If we belong to Christ, we're Abraham's seed. We're redeemed from the curse. The Bible says that um, that cursed is one that hangs on a tree. And the Bible says that he became a curse for us so that we could be delivered so that the blessing of God would come upon us and overtake us. You have every right to every blessing. You have every right to the joy of your salvation rather than being down in the dumps. Yeah, I know I'm saved, but I'm really discouraged. Well, you have every right to be encouraged. Well, I know I'm saved, but what if the Lord gets, you know, what if I commit the unpardonable sin? You can't commit the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is to reject Jesus. The unpardonable sin is to not believe in his death, burial and resurrection. That's the only thing that can't be pardoned. That thing pardons everything. That thing, his cross, his death, his resurrection pardons every sin. So the only sin that is unpardonable is rejecting the pardon. I don't see anybody here rejecting the pardon. I think if anybody here was ever in court, and you committed a crime and the judge threw down his, his his gavel or her gavel and said, I find you not guilty. Nobody's going to say, please put me back in prison. <laughs> if you've been pardoned, you're going to walk free. And the blood of Jesus has pardoned you completely. And uncompromisingly. And unconditionally. And I apologize to you for whatever for whatever I said over the years that might have made you think differently. I hope I didn't, but I'm sure that I had in the past. And I apologize for all the preachers who still believe that God's forgiveness is not unconditional. They believe God's forgiveness is conditional on your confession of all your sins. Like which ones? Like, what about all the ones I forgot? I was so high. I was so drugged. I was so drunk. I did a lot of things I don't even remember. So how do I how do I get how can I confess something I don't even remember? Because confessing your sins doesn't save you. Receiving the gift of forgiveness saves you. Believing in the gift that God sent. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. We forget this verse sometimes or we add stuff to it. You can't add anything to this verse. Anything else that seems like it says something different than this is being misunderstood because this cannot be misunderstood. So anything you read that, that says, well, maybe that means John 316 is incomplete. John 316 is complete. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There is no condition to that except to believe. And there's nothing you can add and there's nothing you can take away from that. Everything else that you read in the Bible submits to ultimate truth. And this is ultimate truth. There are no conditions. All right. Well, I don't have time to argue that. So stop arguing with me. All right, let's go. (laughs) Now go over to Revelation, chapter three, verse 11. Jesus says something very powerful here that I want you to get. And I want you to read this from the New King James. If you put the New King James version of this verse up. Uh, first uh, Revelation, chapter three, verse le- verse 11, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have. Hold on to what you have and let no one take your crown. Let no one take your crown. Let no one. He says, hold fast to what you have. Hold on to what you, what do you have? You have salvation. You have power. You have the kingdom of God and you have the authority of his Christ. We just read what we have. What do you have? You have salvation. You have the power. You have the kingdom of God and you have the authority of his Christ. Hold on to what you have and let no one take your crown. Now, the implication that someone can take your crown means that you have a crown. It means you have a crown that somebody could take. And he's, Jesus is telling us, don't let anybody take your crown. What is the crown? Psalm chapter eight, verse five in the New American Standard Bible. Psalm chapter eight, verse five says this. It says that God has made man a little lower than God. You have made us mankind a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. Now, when he says you crown him with glory, so we have a crown of glory. The word glory means you ready for this? A little a little Bible knowledge here on these definitions. The word glory means to be all that God intended you to be, to be all that God intended you to be. So when you think of somebody in all their glory, You know, when you see you say that that, you know, that singer sang with all her glory, that athlete did that with all in all their glory. That bride is coming down the in all her glory. She's coming down the 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 wedding aisle in all her glory to be all that God intended us to be is the word glory. So God has crowned us. With being who God created us to be. And who is that? Revelation chapter one. We don't have to go very far to find out. Revelation chapter one, verse five. I'm glad you asked. What did he crown us as? Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, Revelation chapter one, verse five, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us. How many know he loved you? First, he loves you. Then he washes you. Remember that you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it a thousand more times. That God doesn't love what is washed. God washes what he loves. God doesn't love you because you're washed. He washed you because you're loved. He loved us. Then he washed us. And then he made us kings 
and priests. He loved us. How many believe God loves you? He washed us in his own blood. How many believe you're washed in his blood? Come on, if your hand's not up, it's either broken or you you need to get saved. (laughs) He loved us. He washed us and he made us kings and priests. He made us. He made us something. He felt something. Love. He did something. He washed and he made us something. Kings and priests. When you walk out of here, I want you to walk out of here with a different mind, a different mindset, a new set of facts about your identity, because when the Bible says, let no one take what Jesus said, let no one take your crown. The crown goes on the head. So the crown represents our head. It represents what's going on in our head. The most significant thing in your life is what's going on in your head. The most significant part of your day is what's going on in your head. What are your beliefs? What are your expectations? What do you think? This is the most important thing, because as a man thinks within, so is he. So when he says, let no one take your crown, the crown represents what's in your head. It is our head, our brain, how we think. It controls our central nervous system. Our thinking needs to be permeated with crown thinking. Our thinking needs to be permeated with a mentality that we are kings and priests. Our thinking needs to be permeated. We need to be crowned with the realization that we are kings and priests, that we are the head and not the tail, that we're above only and not beneath, that we can pray and things will happen, that we can speak to mountains and they'll move, that we can speak to dead bones and they'll come alive, that we can speak to cancer and it will leave, that we can speak to our bodies and it will get well, that we can speak to our financial situation and it'll get better, that we have death and life in the power of our tongue and let no one take the crown. Let no one talk you out of your authority. Let no one talk you out of your salvation. Let no one talk you out of your authority. Let no one talk you out of the kingdom of God. Let no one talk you out of your power. Man, I'm here to tell you you're not leaving here the same way you came. I'm telling you that because when you allow this crown to permeate your thinking. Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that you could wear a crown of victory. And the thorns literally pierced into his skull. They put that crown of thorns on him. It wasn't just. It wasn't like um, something just some prickly, you know, those little prickly things when you walk through some woods and you get one of those bunch of those prickly things stick to your pants. Not talking about some prickly little thing. We're talking about a crown of thorns with one inch thorns. So when they put it on his head, they it pierced, it penetrated into his very skull and blood began to pour out of his head. Let me tell you something. The crown of victory is no different. It needs to penetrate into your skull. 
It needs to penetrate into your thinking. It needs to penetrate into your morning and penetrate into your afternoon and penetrate into your evening. It needs to penetrate into your thinking about yourself and to penetrate your thinking about people, penetrate your thinking about your situation. It needs to permeate your thinking until you know that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places and every day you are ruling and reigning with him and you are not starting out with a life trying to get the victory. You are starting out every day from a place of victory. This is how to live, folks. This is how to live. It took me a long time to finally put it all together like this and figure this out and live like this. And I'm going to tell you something. This is how I live. And I'm going to give you three secrets to living this victorious life so that no one can ever take your crown. I'm going to give you three things that you can remember the rest of your life. And if you will live by these three things, you will never, ever live an unhappy day of your life. You'll never, ever be defeated by anything that's trying to tell you that you're defeated by anything that looks like it's defeating you, it will not defeat you. If you will get a hold of these three things that I'm about to say to you, this is how I live every day of my life. And this is how you can live every day of your life. You see, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter two, verse six tells us, We're seated with him. You know, there's something about that seat. There's something about living from a seated position. You know, here's the thing. Let me see if I find so many people. So many people, Christians that I meet have been browbeat by religious notions that they are lowly, inferior creatures who should just be happy that they're going to make it into heaven. And while we should be happy, and we should be thankful that we're going to heaven. I am calling forth into your inner self to discover your true worth, to discover your true value, to discover your true royalty. So no matter what color you are, this is who you really are, a king and a priest, no matter what gender you are, however many there are now, no matter what your gender is, this is who you are. No matter what your age is, this is who you are. You know, all the ageism and sexism and racism, you know, that all that stuff goes away in Christ. You know, the only place it ever goes away, it's not in Chicago. It doesn't go away in Chicago. It doesn't go away in New York. It doesn't go away in London. It doesn't go away in Miami. It doesn't go away anywhere on this earth, but it goes away in Christ. There is no difference between male and female as far as the authority that we have. I heard a preacher, there's some bunch of controversy. Preacher was condemning another preacher recently and say, well, that that person can't be a preacher because she's a woman. Really? Well, you can't be a preacher because you suck. That's my opinion. (laughs) Who? Who did Jesus say to go into all the world and preach the gospel? His disciples. We got any male disciples here? We got any female disciples here? How come I didn't hear any men say anything when I was not a trick question, guys, 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 guys. (laughs) Jesus told his disciples 
to go preach the gospel, not the arrogant, self-righteous Pharisee. There's no sexism in Christ. In Christ, we're equal. Every person has the same rights that I have in Christ. And I have the same rights that any other person has in Christ. There's no racism in 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 Christ. I can listen to you if you're black. I can listen to you if you're white. I can listen to you if you're yellow, green, brown. If you got something good to say, I'm listening. If you don't, I don't want to hear a word you have to say. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're Hispanic. I don't care if you're Asian. I am equally un, I'm, I'm equally uninterested in bad preaching. I'm equally uninterested in people that are in pride. So whatever color you have, I can't see it because I only feel your pride. Humility has no color. Humility has no race. Humility has no no gender. Humility has no agenda. Humility has no sense of superiority. But humility also accepts our royalty in Christ. It's in humility that I and the righteousness of God. It's in humility that I'm a king and a priest. It makes me humble. It doesn't make me proud or arrogant because I know he made me this. He made you this. He made you a king. You didn't make yourself that we don't go around crowning ourselves. We just won't let anybody take our crown. So look, He crowns you with beauty. He crowns you with righteousness. He crowns you with redemption. He crowns us. The Bible says that we're the head and not the tail. We're above only not beneath. What I'm trying to say is if you will learn to live this way, these three things I'm about to tell you. You'll never be you'll never be defeated another day in your life. You will have defeats, but you won't be defeated. You'll have bad days, but God will turn them into good days. You'll have needs, but God will meet them. You'll have problems, but God will give you the wisdom to solve them. So here's where here's where we live. If we're if we're seated with Christ in heavenly places and Jesus is at the right hand of the father. Then we must learn to live, number one, from the throne. We need to live from the throne. Everybody say from the throne. Now, what does this mean to live from the throne? The Bible says in Romans 5:17, through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. So we live from the throne. That means to say we are seated as victors in Christ. We're not trying to win any victory. We're not trying to finish the work. Jesus has finished the work and he has given us the victory. The single most important truth in the Bible is that Jesus Christ has finished the work for your salvation, for your deliverance, for your healing, for your redemption and for your victory. And he has taken his seat at the right hand of the father and he has seated you and I with him. Didn't think I was going to pull that off, did you? (laughs) So if we're if we're if he has seated us with him, then we get to live from the throne. That's from a position of victory. We are not trying to work our way into the throne room of God. We're not trying to earn our way into the throne of God. We're not trying to merit our way or battle our way into the throne room of God. We have been seated with Christ at the right hand 
of God. We are not trying to make it happen. It has happened. And we are not letting anybody take our victory that Jesus gave us. The entire message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has conquered every enemy and won every battle. And if we are in him, then all of those victories are ours. When the prodigal son came home, the older son got mad and jealous and said, this kid has wasted this money and wasted his inheritance and wasted you. And now you're going to have a party for him. I've served you all these years and you never once had a party for me and my friends. And you know what the father said? My son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is thine. All that is mine is yours. The whole time that the older son thought he had to work and fight and deserve a place and deserve a party and earn a party and earn the right. The father said, it's all been yours the whole time. You could have had a party. Any do you know you can have a party anytime right now? You know why? Because you have the victory. Some of us are like, as soon as I get this job, as soon as I get over this problem, as soon as I beat this addiction, as soon as I overcome this, you already have overcome. You're more than a conqueror. So you might as well just throw the party right now. You might as well just celebrate the victory right now because it's yours. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to let anybody take it from me and I'm going to teach you how to not let anybody take it from you. And the number one people that take it from us are preachers that preach the heresy of you. You have to earn your salvation and you have to keep it and you have to deserve it and you have to be holy enough, repent enough, say you're sorry enough, confess enough. When this is a free gift from God, this goodness of God, this grace of God, by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8 says it is the free gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Nobody, nobody can boast. If you're going to boast, the Bible says boast in the Lord. Jesus saved me. This picture I want you to see living from the throne. Everybody say from the throne. This picture. Of being seated, it's a place of rest. It's a place of completion. It's a place of victory. So you don't ever face another battle, another day in your life. Without facing it from the throne where, you know, you already have the victory over it. And all that's left for you to do is praise and praising doesn't give you the victory. You're just praising God because you got the victory. We don't praise him. To get the victory. We praise him because we got it. Now, right now, you have the victory already. Living from the throne. Number two, this is what's got to permeate our thinking. Number one, we got to live from the throne. Number two, we get to live at the throne. We get to live at the throne. The Bible says that we can come boldly into the chambers of our father's throne and boldly receive mercy and grace 
at the throne of his generosity. It's called the throne of grace. It's the throne of his goodness. It's the throne of his unmerited love. It's the throne of his unmerited favor. It's the throne of his generosity. We can come boldly to this throne of God's grace and receive mercy and grace to help us when in time of need, any time in time of need. So we get to live at the throne. We get to live at the throne and receive mercy. So living from the from the throne, living from the throne is living at a living from a place of of victory. It's living from a place of victory, living from the throne, living at the throne is living from a place of receiving. I get to live from a place of receiving. I can receive mercy and grace anytime I need it. I'm living at the throne, a place of receiving. So I'm living from the throne, the place of victory. I'm living at the throne, the place of receiving. Everybody say I'm living from the throne. What what kind of place is it? A place of victory from the throne is a place of victory at the throne is a place of receiving. You can receive any time and you can boldly come. You can run right into the arms of your heavenly father. You don't have to knock real softly on the door. Hope he's not. hope he's not in a bad mood. You go just boldly bolt your way into that room and into that throne and say, I'm living at the throne. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting me in. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that got me in here and the blood of Jesus that keeps me in here and the blood of Jesus that never runs out and the blood of Jesus that is the fount from which I worship you and praise you and thank you. And everything stems from the blood of Jesus. And that's why I can boldly come to this throne of grace and I can be at a place of receiving all the days of my life, whatever I need, if if it's mercy, if it's grace, something I did wrong. I need some mercy, something I can't do. I need some grace. My God, it's available to every one of us all the time. We're living at the throne. This is how to live. Say, if you had to tell a Christian, if you had to tell somebody, how how do you live this Christian life? It's three things. Number one, we live from the throne. That's the place of victory. Number two, we live at the throne. That's the place of receiving. And number three, we live for the throne. That's the place of giving glory to God. We live for the throne. We live for the glory of God. In Luke chapter 17, 10 lepers were cleansed. But notice what Jesus says when one of them turns back to give thanks. And he says, weren't there 10? I'm kind of the son of God. I created the universe. I'm just you know, recounting the number here for a minute. He's thinking, uh, weren't there 10 that were cleansed like he knew he's asking them, weren't there 10 that were cleansed? But where are the nine now? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God? except this foreigner. He returned to do what? Give glory to God. He returned to do what? Give glory to God. How did he give glory to God? By giving thanks for what Jesus already did. You want to know how to give glory to God? You give glory to God by thanking him 
for what he's done. You give glory to God by believing. The Bible says, and Abraham did not waver in faith, but grew strong and he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, holding on to the promises of God, whether you feel it or see it gives glory to God. And what else gives glory to God? Bringing others into the kingdom of God gives glory to God. These are the things that give God glory. So we live from the throne place of victory. We live at the throne, a place of receiving, and we live for the throne, a place of giving, a place of giving, a place of victory, a place of receiving and a place of giving. That's how it, that's how to live. What should I do with my life? Live from the throne, a place of victory, live at the throne, a place of receiving, live for the throne, a place of giving, giving your life, giving him glory, giving him thanks, giving him your faith, giving him your confidence, giving him your trust, giving him whatever you have to give him glory. We were created to give God glory. We're never happy in life until we do what we were created to do. You want the joy of your salvation back? Live from the throne, a place of victory. You want the joy of your salvation back? You want the power? Live at the throne, a place of receiving. You want happiness and fulfillment and total life satisfaction? Live for the throne, a place of giving the glory to God. You can have it all because Jesus did it all. And therefore, we live from victory over it all. We receive all that we need and we give him all the glory. You live like that. It's easy life. It's a simple life. I'm not saying it's not going to be challenging at times, but that's the simple life. That's the summary of it all. This is how to build your life. Live from live at and live for live from the throne. Say you're repeating yourself. I know this is how we learn. What are the three things? See, you won't you want to know why I repeat it seven times in the last three minutes is because I'll ask you, what what are the three things you go? Well, power, kingdom, glory. I don't know. (laughs) Father, son, Holy Ghost, I'd give up. (laughs) We live in three places. We live from the throne, a place of victory. We live at the throne, a place of receiving. We live for the throne, a place of giving, giving glory to God. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If this message has blessed you in any way, we'd love for you to share it with your family, your friends, or anyone that you think would enjoy these amazing teachings. And also make sure to subscribe if you haven't already so that you never miss an episode.